fact that God exists, we find in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, where it states, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. But many people seem to have a different idea, and that is something called evolutionism. The idea that God did not create everything, but over millions and billions of years, everything evolved by naturalistic processes. Is that really true? Well, I'm your host, Mike Riddle, the president and founder of Creation Training Initiative, and I want to welcome you to Creation Training Radio and TV. And back with us again is Dr. Job Martin. Welcome back, Dr. Martin. It's good to be back. And those, those creatures you talked about last time are simply amazing, some of those creatures in there. And you have DVDs out there that have these creatures on, and they can find more about you. Where can they go to your website? Let's just get that right out of the way right now. If they want to find out more about these amazing creatures, where can they go? Well, our biblical main website is biblicaldiscipleship.org. Okay, biblicaldiscipleship.org. Now, there seems to be a lot of deception out there, and rather than believe a creator God, people are teaching many different ideas. They're even teaching different ideas about God wrote down in the Bible, bringing things like mm. the gap theory, billions of years in the Bible. But isn't there a verse that talks about that in the Bible? Proverbs 14, 12 is a good one. It says, There's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And evolution just seems so right to people. And that seems to be happening in our Christian universities, too. We have these people with these degrees teaching false information that God oh, yes. used evolution. Why would somebody want to marry God's Word with evolution? And evolution is basically saying there is no greater God. Well, that's the whole purpose of evolution. You read people like uh, Richard Lewontin from Harvard or uh, others, and they'll say, well, what, what is the whole goal of evolution? Get rid of Jesus, get rid of Genesis, get rid of God, and then we're home free. That's right, because they know, the evolutionists, I believe, know they don't have to attack Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because isn't Genesis the key to understanding the gospel? Well, isn't it ever? I mean, like people, you mentioned these uh, uh, different ideas of evolution, and all of them have death before Adam. Well, I mean, if there is death before God said to Adam, Adam, if you eat of that one particular tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you're going to die. But everything's been living and dying all along here anyway. Adam would say to God, hey, uh, God, here, wh wh what's the big deal? I mean, I was going to die anyway. What, what kind of a penalty is that? And so if there was death before Adam, why did Jesus have to come to earth as God in the flesh and overcome the death that was the cause, that was caused by Adam's sin? So Jesus did. He came down and he died on the cross, took our sin on himself, which is interesting, too, because Adam was born perfect, which means he was designed to live forever. But he sinned, and now he is contaminated. He's going to have to die. Jesus comes down. He's born. He's perfect. He doesn't sin. Therefore, he can't die. But he did die. Well, how could he have died? Well, because he took my sin and the sins of all of us on himself. He became sin for us that we could have his righteousness. So that now he had to die, because now he had the sin. But he overcame the death at the resurrection. Yes, but yet there's all these people out there, and again, I'm going to include right there in Christian churches and universities, they're teaching ways that seem right to them. But God says something about not sharing his glory. He sure does. Isaiah 48, 11, uh, he just basically comes right out and says, I will not share my glory. Well, what does evolution do? It robs God of his glory. It steals his praise. I mean, the whole purpose is I can be here without God. And that's what the whole idea of natural selection is the, the, from the evolutionist side. They're saying God didn't design anything. It all happened through natural selection. That's the key to understanding design. 
not God. Exactly. So Christians should not be buying into this whole idea of natural selection, should they? Well, it shouldn't. And natural selection doesn't produce any new information anyway. No. I mean, how's anything going to evolve? And it's just naturally selecting out of already there. What's already there? Right, because the information we we can show only comes from an intelligent sender. It never arises by random chance processes. Exactly right. It's like DNA. Yeah. Uh, language is caused by intelligence. This is a little syllogism. Language is caused by intelligence. Nobody argues. DNA is language. It's the coded language of the cell. Therefore. DNA had an intelligent cause. And by the way, on college campuses, I put that up and it just goes silent. Uh, <laughs> they get it. They get it. They see mm -hmm. their, own, their own contradiction in what they're stating. Exactly. Mm -hmm. What a wonderful way to do that. Yeah. Now, well, last time we talked about some of these incredible creatures. So can we have some more of those? Those are absolutely fascinating. Well, last summer we went to uh, Alaska. Some folks had us up there to teach and they wanted to show us around. We got to see some caribou and other things. We got to see some of the the humpback whales blowing their bubbles and there were five big whales and they were working as a team and they'd go deep down and they blow this huge circle, it was about as big as a football field, this huge circle of bubbles. Everything inside the bubbles thinks it can't swim out through the bubbles. So then they come up under it with their mouths open and the bubbles have trapped everything and they just come up and they came right up out of the water with their mouths wide open full of krill and all kinds of things. Uh, but anyway, we're up there and we got to see caribou. And I had no idea caribou had so many special features. Uh, reindeer are domesticated caribou. And the male and the female, they're the only deer that have, both of them have antlers. So the female has antlers, the male has antlers. The male loses his antlers in the fall. The female keeps her antlers to the spring while she's pregnant. So in the winter, when everything's covered with snow, and they, they eat lichens mostly in the winter, and these lichens, uh, the caribou can smell a lichen under five feet of snow. So here's a patch of lichens under some snow, and this, and this female finds it. And she's going to start eating it, but here comes this big bull. Well, he's used to pushing everybody around, okay, but now he's lost his antlers, and she has antlers. So she says to the bull, sorry, Buster, I'm eating these lichens, and he has to listen, okay? So God even timed the way they dropped their antlers so that she could get the best food because she is give, going to give birth to a new baby. They have uh, hair that's hollow. They have the wool type underneath, and then these long, hollow hairs which is why they can swim so well, and it also adds um, buoyancy to them. And the, even their hoofs, uh, they have like these two major parts to the hoof, and then these two little ones, they're called dew claws back here. And in the wintertime, the hoof contraction is very hard, so they can chop through ice. But in the summertime, when the permafrost and the tundra begins to thaw a little bit on top, it's all mushy, the, the hoof becomes soft and spreads out so that they can walk on top and they don't sink in. It also helps them in the winter. It's big enough uh, foot that, or hoof that they can walk on snow and, and spread out those dew claws, act like snowshoes. It's like they can be in snow up to their waist, up to their belly, and they can control the temperature in their legs so that they preserve the, the main temperature, and they'll keep their body at 101 degrees. The people in Alaska said they can get the, the temperature in their legs down to about one degree above freezing. Now, how do they do that? 
Well, and I, in the literature it says about 50 to 60 degrees difference between the body heat and the heat in the legs. But what, they, what our Creator, the Lord Jesus, did, He made the arteries and the veins as they come out uh, right beside each other. So as the warm uh, blood is coming out of the heart, the cold blood is coming up out of the leg, and so the warm blood is going to warm up the blood that's coming back to the heart, and it'll cool down the blood that's going down the leg so that they maintain uh, a constant temperature of their main body, and their legs don't freeze. Well, how would that evolve? Well, the evolutionists began to say over millions of years they adapted to that environment. But, but that's just a faith issue, isn't it? Well, they can say all this they want, but where is the observational evidence? And you said earlier, information, because that would require new information, only arises by an intelligent sender. It does not arise by mutations. Well, exactly. It's, it's immaterial. It's non-material. Yes. I mean, you can't grab information out of a gene or stick information in. That, what an incredible... I never knew that about caribou. I just thought there were another big animal out there. Never thought about that. Yeah, they have a lot of other things too, but they're just... Every one of these creatures... Romans 1, God says, basically, study what I've made and then give me glory and give me thanks. They won't do it. The evolutionists study what He's made and they won't thank God. They won't give Him glory. They're reduced to vain imaginations, but then they won't tell us these things either. That's Romans 1. It's called censorship, isn't it? Yeah. They, they purposely hold back the science to help promote evolutionism. Exactly right. If, if, if we were taught everything the scientists know, there, there's no question. God is God. Jesus is the Creator. He created everything, and it has to have been created. Millions of years can't explain it. Uh, and as far as the missing links, which they've changed the name now to transitional form because it doesn't sound as missing, uh, where are they? Every single thing we have can be identified. It's either a fish, it's a bird, it's a this, even Archaeopteryx. They're now saying that's a bird. Why? Because now they found birds that predate Archaeopteryx. Yes. Yeah. So there's, they don't have anything. Yes. Uh, when we find birds, they have feathers. We don't find any half-scale, half-feathers anywhere in the, in the transitional creatures, which don't exist. Well, how about cold-blooded to warm-blooded? We don't have any lukewarm-blooded things, okay? I mean, we don't have any tooth-beaked, well, we do have some lukewarm churches out there. Yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> the Bible says true. something about that. And I think part of that is because they will not teach with the authority of Scripture yes. those early chapters of Genesis. It we, makes the whole Bible, we get lukewarm. And that's a big part of it. People say, well, it doesn't matter about this Genesis million years. It matters about the authority of God's Word. Who's in control? Is man in control or is God's Word true? Well, yeah, I go out in these churches and people say, well, yeah, but those days in Genesis, they could be any amount of time. I mean, it could be a billion years each. And I say, well, wait a minute, Let, let's see what it says. And it says what? Each one of those days was half light, half dark. Uh, each one of those days has a number, day one, day two. The Hebrew word yom with a number always means normal day. Uh, it, how old was Adam when he died? Adam lived through most of the sixth day. He lived through the night in between the sixth and seventh day. He lived through the seventh day. A day is equal to a billion years. Is Adam nine one billion nine hundred million? How how old was Adam when he died? Well, Genesis one fourteen, God says there were days, there were seasons, there were years. Well, if a Genesis one day is equal to a billion years, then what is a Genesis one season equal to? Because this is Genesis chapter one. A season is ninety days long. Is a season ninety billion years long? I bet a lot of people out there have never thought about that one. That's a great one to bring up. Genesis 1, verse 14, day, season, and year. 
like you say, if a day is a long period of time, then what do you make of a season in a year? Exactly right. Uh, I think God, he knew people would question that because he knows everything. And I think that's why right in the Ten Commandments, he sticks a little aside in there. And he says to people, Genesis, uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 9, Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. That's, does anybody have a question about how long those days are? We know the kind of days we work. They shouldn't, but then again, it goes back to that first scripture you talked about. In their own eyes, they think they're doing what's right. Uh, but yes, indeed, indeed. So you have, you have uh, a, a normal day that we work. Nobody goes off and works six billion years, okay? We might feel like it sometimes, yes. but we don't. Well, then he also says in verse 11 of Exodus 24, in six days, same kind of days we work, God says, I worked, and within a six-day week made up of the same kind of days we work, I made the heavens, the earth, the seas, and all that in them is. So he made everything that he made within a six-day week that's made up of the same kind of days that we work. Including the caribou. The caribou, uh, the Brazil nut. Let's talk about that one. That's fascinating. Well, the Brazil nut tree is uh, one of the two trees. Now, let me guess. Do you find this in Brazil? Yeah, it is. It's in South America, <laughs> South Brazil. America. That Brazil, yeah. And uh, so... Just uh, trying to show my intelligence yeah, there. Yeah, you're, you're, you're really, really good. Um, by the way, I, I do like what you do, Mike. Uh, we, we really appreciate your, your teaching people how to teach. Uh, that is needed, really needed. So, folks out there, if you haven't had the riddles, come and teach you these things about how to teach these things so that it makes an impact on people. You need to do that. And well, he has so. a web page. Creationtraining.org. Creationtraining.org. Yes. But I want to hear more about this Brazil nut. All right. So, there's two trees that hold up the canopy, primarily, in the Amazon rainforest. The Brazil nut tree and the kapok tree, like we get life preservers, kapoks. They are anywhere from 180 to 225, 230 feet tall. Big, tall tree. Not the tallest. We have the tallest here in America, the General Sherman tree and the Hyperion tree, uh, the sequoia and the redwood. Uh, one of them is 379 feet tall. But anyway, these are 220, right around in there. All right, the nuts for the Brazil nut form in a pod. And it's like uh, five pounds or so, about like a large coconut. And the pod is so thick and hard, it's like cement. It doesn't even open when it hits the ground. It doesn't split open. Okay. By the way, you don't want to be under the tree if one of those lets loose from 180 feet so up. don't take naps under these trees. No, that's not a nap tree. The natives build their trails out around the ones that they know are going to drop things. Um, but if it drops to the ground and doesn't open up, how are the seeds going to get out? Well, God made a little animal called an agouti. And the agouti likes to eat Brazil nuts. By the way, it's not really a nut, it's a seed, because nuts have two halves. So the, the agouti chews in there and gets the nuts out. It's a little rodent. Eats some, buries some. They're going to be in your next generation of trees. Now, down in uh, Texas, where we're from, we have these pecan orchards and uh, miles of them. Well, some farmers down in Brazil decided, let's have some Brazil nut orchards. So they planted the trees, and they grew, and they got blossoms, no nuts. It took several years for them to discover, in order for the Brazil nut flower to be pollinated, because it is in a spiral tube and it's sealed shut, there's only one insect that can pollinate the Brazil nut flower, and that is the Brazil nut long-tongued bee. 
So it took him a long, and what it does is the bee has this strong jaw and a very long tongue. And so it'll go to the tree, it'll get on the flower, it'll take its strong jaw, lift up the lid, hold it open, stick its tongue down in there, and then as it goes from flower to flower to flower, it pollinates the tree. So they finally figured that out. They went out, they brought in the bees, and sure enough, they got nuts uh, for one year. Next year, no nuts. Why? All the bees died. Why? It took several more years for them to discover, in order for Mrs. B to invite Mr. B into the house so they can have baby bees, Mr. B has to go to a particular species of orchid, one single species of orchid, get the scent of that orchid on himself, and then Mrs. B will invite him in. So I guess that's his cologne. So what do you need in the jungle? Oh, they finally figured that out. So they went out and they brought the orchids, and so they raised the trees, the bees and the orchids. Now they don't need the agouti in a commercial operation, but how would that evolve, you see? Because all of them are mutually dependent on each other, and they all have to be there at the same time, or the Brazil nut tree doesn't get pollinated, uh, the bees die, they don't get the pollen they need, they don't get their nourishment. The, uh, now I'm not sure how the orchid works into this, other than the male bee pollinates the, the orchid as it's going back and forth, okay? So the whole system is a system of, of a mutualistic, symbiotic-type relationship. You know, when we look at bridges and uh, we look at homes, it takes an intelligent designer to put those things together. Just like what you just described, that is an incredible design that everything has to fit together. Just like when man makes a machine, we say, wow, that was built by some intelligent person. For sure. But yet, we have these people out there that deny God's creation. Well, even just the bee. I mean, you can't have a partially evolved Brazil nut long tongue bee. It's got to have a jaw that's strong enough to open, and it has to have the information to know, hey, what I want is inside that. I got to open the lid to get my tongue down in there. So it has to have the long enough tongue, strong enough jaw, etc. How would they ever know that their food is in there? What they need is in there. Exactly right. They've been God put knowledge into them, and they know what to do and how to do it. Incredible design. Again, Romans 1, 19 and 20, God has given us all the evidence and no one that has ever lived on this planet has an excuse for not believing in a Creator. And you know what we say, believe in a Creator, we should accept His Word as He gave it to us, not reinvent it. Oh, I agree. What, what else does it say right there in Romans 1? Uh, they, they study what God has made. It says, uh, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. This is that certain kind of men. They hold the truth in unrighteousness, so they hold back truth. They suppress it. They know about Brazil nuts and Nudibranchs and all these things, but they won't tell us about it. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. By the way, uh, what's the definition of invisible? You can't see it. But God says we can see invisible things about Him. Well, how? Being understood by the things that are made. Ah, that's general revelation, the creation. We study the creation, we can see things about God. Even His eternal power and Godhead, what's included in the Godhead, the Trinity. So we can see things about the Trinity in what He made. So they're without excuse. So God said, okay, yeah. you, you, you want to study these things and then not give me thanks and not give me glory. Because when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. That's what God says. So they study what God has made, they won't give Him thanks, they won't give Him glory. He says we can even see invisible things about Him in, in what He's made, and they study what He's made. I'm not going to believe in God. And God says, okay then, that's, you are 
total in the fantasy world, and you're without excuse when you stand right. before me. Now, there's no such thing as an innocent native on this planet. That's, a, that's right. God has revealed it to us. Exactly right. Well, we've got a little time left. Uh, can we do one more creature? We can try I've it. I've seen you do the giraffe. Could you talk, talk to us about the giraffe? Well, that's my favorite animal, I'd have to admit. That, and better, matter of fact, that was the one way back there, probably about 1973, that absolutely, maybe it was 72, but it absolutely convinced me there is no way that could evolve. Why? Well, a bull giraffe, 18 feet tall. In order to get the blood up that long skinny neck against gravity, he has a powerful pump, and that's his heart. And the heart can weigh up to 25 pounds. It can be two feet long. It's a big, powerful pump. And when that thing squeezes, it shoots that blood up that long skinny neck against gravity, and he's doing great. Okay, now we have a problem. He's thirsty, so I've got to get a drink. So he's going to bend his head down to get a drink. And the big pump goes squeeze, and the blood goes zoom, and it hits his brains and blows his brains out his ears. And as he's dying, he must be thinking, i got a problem. When I bend my head down to get a drink of water, I blow my brains out. I'm going to have to evolve something here to fix this. Okay, well, dead animals can't evolve. They can't fix anything. But, of course, he doesn't die. Because as he goes down, there's like little valves, little spigots in the artery that goes up the neck. They close. But the last pulse of blood is beyond that last valve. It's under enough pressure to burst the little arteries in his brain when his head is down. But the last pulse of blood doesn't go into the brain. It goes like whoop underneath the brain into a sponge. And this sponge gently expands. He hasn't blown his brains out. He gets his drink of water. Uh, he sees a, a, a zebra running toward him. He ignores it. He sees a lion coming. i got to get out of here. The lion wants to eat me. I, how does he know the zebra doesn't want to eat him and the lion does? But he knows. So he jumps up and he runs about three steps, passes out. Not enough oxygen to the brain. So as he is there, passed out, and the lion's eating him, he must be thinking, i got another problem here. Uh, when I jump up, I don't have enough oxygen. I pass out and the lions eat me. I'm going to have to fix this. I'm going to have to evolve something here to fix this. Well, dead animals can't evolve. They can't fix it. And so what happens? Well, he doesn't pass out because as he comes up, the valves open. The uh, little sponge squeezes that last pulse of oxygenated blood up into his brain, doing just fine. Only God could do that. There, I don't care how many millions of years you have. There's no way that an impersonal, accidental, mindless, chance, random process is going to produce something like that. People say, well, uh, yeah, but the giraffe evolved from the okapi and this and this. I say, okay, show me. Well, we're anything in between, you know, Google medium neck giraffe or something. Don't find anywhere. We just don't find real transitions other than pictures drawn by artists in textbooks. And that's what evolutionists have to resort to, not real science. That's right. And you have many, many more of these creatures on, on, your, on your DVDs. And again, could you give us your website and how they can get a hold of these DVDs? Because they're incredible, these, these, see these animals. And they're good for all ages, including all the way down to first grade, all the way up through people my age. Well, they are. And kids, little kids, two-year-olds, one-year-olds, watch them. They just watch them. And they want to see them over and over and over because they love to see animals. And that's all they do. They're clean. We don't have any bad language. No, no, and we don't have any animals and just ripping people. And they're evolution-free, aren't they? Evolu they're totally. good science and good Bible, but evolution-free. Yes. Because we don't need evolution to talk about science, do we? Oh, for sure. Well, yeah, I say, okay, show one thing that couldn't be here without evolution. Yes. There's nothing. They, they, don't, they can't come up with anything. Biblicaldiscipleship.org is our Biblical main Biblicaldiscipleship.org, and you can get all these DVDs that they have out there. 
And uh, this has been great, Job. I'm glad you came back a second time to give us some more incredible design that God put there, not natural selection. Amen. I want to thank you once again for watching our show. And uh, come back again. We'll have some more great lessons. And God bless all of you. If these lessons had been a blessing to you, you might consider financially supporting the Ministry of Creation Training Initiative. You can do this by going to our website, creationtraining.org. Again, that's creationtraining.org. Your tax-deductible donation of just $20, $50 or more a month, or a one-time gift of any amount will make you an education partner in building an army of Christian educators who can teach the biblical account of creation and train others to be able to defend their faith and be biblically faithful to God's word as it states in 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Thank you.